1941, the United States entered into World War II. In order to combat what was going on in Europe, America mobilized its industries uh, to create weapons for the war. This took a huge effort. Uh, the mobilization worked and they were able to produce enough weapons that they could keep shipping them over there and uh, they produced more weapons than the Germans could destroy and therefore eventually won the war. But there was an interesting thing that happened after the war was won. Uh, the Americas, America, now had an industry that didn't exist in the past. And it was an industry to produce weapons. It was a war industry. Uh, so all of a sudden, you had an industry that needed wars to exist. And at that time, all of a sudden, there were no wars. Well, that was certainly solved quickly. Uh, the Korean conflict began shortly after. And then when Eisenhower became our president, he said, beware the military-industrial complex. The point being that when you have a industry and a powerful industry, that industry, which is in business to produce what it produces, is going to go about doing what it has to do to keep producing what it makes. Because it now is no longer about winning a war, it's about making money for the industry. So all of a sudden, there is a change in motive. There is a change in the reason things are being done. So what happened? America, over years, became a main supplier of war machines to the rest of the world. Uh, and ended up steadily in an awful lot of wars. Now, from political perspective, I'm not going to say this was entirely the work of the military-industrial complex, but I would certainly uh, say that the power of the military-industrial complex didn't hurt the starting of these wars. In the first years of this country, we didn't have pharmaceutical industries. We had doctors. And these doctors did the best they could uh, with concoctions that they knew about and made up uh, that they called medicines to try and cure people. Slowly, an industry arose 
uh, out of medicine called the pharmaceutical industry. And the pharmaceutical industry was in the business of making medicines. And the pharmaceutical industry were able to get patents on their medicines, which means that no one else could produce the medicine that they make. Then the pharmaceutical industry began to push their specific pharmaceuticals on doctors with salesmen. Now, if you watch television or listen to the radio in the United States, you will hear prescription medicines being touted and being pushed so that now the consumer will go to his doctor and ask for these medicines. So from the doctor who used to make house calls, we now have the medical pharmaceutical industry uh, with lobbyists and everything else that goes along with that program, whose main function now is to produce pills that'll be consumed, drugs that'll be consumed by the public in large numbers uh, to maintain health, uh, or at least what's supposed to be health. Uh, just a couple of examples. Diabetes, they used to say, was a problem if your sugar was above 125. Now it's if your sugar is above 100. Some try to get you down to 90. Why? More medicine. Blood pressure is now touted as needing to be 110 over 70 or 120 over 80, where 140 over 90 used to be acceptable. They're trying to push numbers lower. Doctors have pads. They can push numbers lower, but they have to have medicines to do this. And who does this aid? Does this aid the people whose numbers are being pushed lower, or does it aid the industry? Well, everybody can decide for themselves on that. But it certainly doesn't hurt the industry. We used to have farmers who each raised their own crop, sustained themselves, and the extras were sold. Uh, some of these farmers were cow farmers. Now we have the American Dairy Council, who pushes milk and dairy products as a positive form of uh, energy and food for the country, and hires people to do research papers confirming their point of view. We also have a beef council to push the fact that meat is a positive way to eat and it does positive things for you. Well, I've given a few examples. What do each of these examples have in common? 
they have motive. And what has happened to each of these examples? As they've grown, their motives have changed. And somehow, the original motives that started them are no longer the motives that continue to push them. We created a military uh, production complex in the United States in World War II to win a very difficult situation and win the war. That was the motive. What's the motive now for the military industrial complex? Doctors used to do the best they could to cure people. Then it grew into this huge industry. Has the motive stayed the same or now is keeping this industry rich and viable part of the motive? Farmers used to grow food to sustain themselves in their local area. Now they're conglomerates and what's the motive now? On and on and on. Religions began with a prophet speaking to a small group of people trying to create a relationship between them and their creator, between them and Allah, between them and God. When the prophets passed, people took over the place of the prophets, not necessarily with the same intentions that the prophet had, or with the same understanding that the prophets had. So what became the aftermath, the creation of a religion? And what was the motive for the creation of a religion. Was it to increase the understanding of man about his relationship with Allah? Or did it have other motives, such as political power, the ability to control land, the ability to control territories, the ability to control people, as opposed to giving them their freedom? to be able to enter into their own relationship with God. What were the motives that were now in place when the word changes from a word to a religion? We, as individuals, began as babies. And if we look at a baby, what are the motives of a baby? What does a baby try to accomplish? What kind of buttons does it try to push? What does it try to control? What is it trying to get? A baby's motives are really quite simple. He wants to eat, he wants to survive. He wants to be loved. 
and he gives out enormous joy to those who interact with it. What happens as the baby grows and all of a sudden the baby becomes a teenager, an adult? The needs change. And what happens when there are needs, when there are desires? Motives are created in order to try and possess what it is that it needs and desires. And methodologies are created in order to obtain what is needed and what is desired. So the nature of the innocent child becomes that of a manipulative adult with motives trying to obtain what it needs in the world. As you go through life and as you watch your interactions with people, as you see what is going on around us, you will note that everything is motivated by something. And the question is, what is at the core of the motivation? What's the reason people do things? What's the reason you do things? Let's go back to the prophet and other prophets. Their motives were to connect people with God. Their motives were pure. Their motives were to bring people to reality. Their motives were Allah's motives. Their motives were God's motives. They did not taint what they were doing with their own needs and desires. They may have been even free of needs and desires because they were here for Allah, not for themselves. <clears throat> There's a very important lesson in that. If Allah sent people to show us the way to him, the way to understand him. And these people were without worldly motives and they in fact knew him. What's the obvious understanding that comes from that? We must become without worldly motives if we are to be able to make the connection that Allah's messengers are telling us about. So what do we need to do in this world? We need to find somebody who is without motive, 
who knows about Allah, who can teach us about Allah, whose motives are not for any worldly ideal, but rather whose motives are to bring others to the place where they've gotten to, to bring others to reality. Can this be found in organized religion? Well, you have to ask yourself. I'm sure it can. But you're going to have to look very hard. And one of the things that you have to find is a real friend. A friend who is motiveless. A friend who doesn't want anything from you, who is there on your behalf, as opposed to his behalf, who doesn't care about what happens to him, but cares about what happens to you. We found such a being in our lifetime. And his name was Bao Muhayyadeen. And he was our friend, our true friend. He was also our father, our spiritual father. He was also without motive. If you asked him about himself, he would always say, I'm not here to talk about myself. I'm not here to talk about my story. I'm, to I'm here to talk about his story. And he told us to become like him. So, the prophets were without personal motive. The teachers are without, the true teachers are without personal motive. They want us to be able to relate, to, to establish a relationship with Allah, a relationship with God. What becomes self-evident in looking at this? That if you want to establish a relationship with Allah, you have to become rid of personal motive. You have to become rid of desire. You have to become rid of worldly needs. You have to detach to the train that pulls you through the world and watches the hypnotisms and the magnetisms and waves at everything and reaches out to grab. We need to be able to do away with motives that have to do with the world and change that to motives that have to do with Allah. And if we can do that, we can get out of the grid that is this world that's grasping at every opportunity to grab us and pull us and put us in its grasp. If you ever look at the, uh, what, a, what a grid looks like, it's cross-hatched lines. And just imagine it falling on top of you and tightening in. That's what the world does to us.
And we need to somehow escape from this all-consuming grid of the fascinations and the hypnotisms that are the world. And for each of us, we have to walk this fine line where we do our duty to the people we have to do our duty to in the world, and we somehow are involved in the complexities of the economic systems and everything else in the world, yet stay detached from it. We need to become without motive. We need to become pure again. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of different motives in the world. None of them can ever be satisfied. None of them can ever be cured. But there is one that's a motive separate from these. And that's the motive to enter into reality and to know Allah. There is a cure for that. We must make that our focus. We must make that our ideal. We must make that the purpose of our existence. May Allah make this path easy for us. May He make this understanding clear for us. And may He motivate us in that direction. Amin, amin, ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.